Welcome to Blue Medicine Journal, a Jungian podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra del Castillo, a Jungian mentor, ritual artist, and dreamer, coming to you from out of the blue. Thank you for tuning in and for your curiosity. Einstein called curiosity holy, and Jung called it divine. Yet we've also been told that curiosity killed the cat. It turns out, though, that this version was chopped in half. It sort of became a warning, perhaps against asking too many questions or delving too deeply. Curiouser and curiouser. The original version is actually a proverb which first appeared in a Pennsylvania newspaper in 1912 and read, Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. That's a big difference. Here, curiosity is an exploration, not without its risks, but certainly worth its rewards and promise of rebirth. Blue Medicine Journal reclaims this original jauntier version then. And so, as we step from the mundane into the mythic, from disenchantment to re-enchantment, may curiosity and wonder abound. episode is an introduction to the vision of Blue Medicine Journal, as well as some of the language of a Jungian podcast. We begin with the name. Blue Medicine comes from a dream. But before we get to the dream, let's explore the shades of blue. We begin with the blues of our Mother Earth and her bright lapis lazuli gemstones. Imagine, too, the blues of twilight, indigo, prussian, and a cobalt blue that shines like the color of blue glass in sunlight. My recurring childhood dreams were bathed in these sublime blues. And as we know from Jung, dreams are the language of the soul. Likewise, in Jung's near-death experience, he saw the earth from space was bathed in a blue light. Goethe tells us that a blue surface seems to recede from us. It draws us after it. Indeed. And as Toshin's great book of symbols reminds us, we have colored our gods blue. Neph, Jupiter, Krishna, Vishnu, Odin, and our goddesses too. Blue is the color of Mary's celestial cloak. She is the earth covered by the blue tent of the sky. Blue is linked with eternity. To this pantheon, I would add the Egyptian goddess, Nut, whose indigo body encompasses the star-spangled sky. I include the blue medicine Buddha, as well as the blue lords of Mexico, beginning with the little blue deer of the Huichol people, and Tlaloc, the Mexica rain god, and Chupetiripeme, the Purepecha rain god of my ancestry. To these blues, we add the blues that come with life's many slings and arrows that burrow themselves deep in our hearts and minds. The blues that sink us, like they did Dionysus, when still a babe he was dismembered by the Titans. 
Only his heart remained when he fled to the deep indigos of the ocean's floor, seeking refuge in the healing cove of the sea goddess Thetis. Thetis was the leader of the 50 Nereides, who were nymphs and goddesses of the sea's rich bounty. Protectors of sailors and fishermen, they came to the aid of those in distress. To these blues, we add the blues of the blues singer, the blues that ain't nothing but, the blues that in their dire beauty stir the heart from its dark canyons to remember the soul. Holding both sorrow and joy, soul and spirit, the blues are grounded in the celebration of the sensual. Musicology scholar John Michael Spencer called the blues a deeply spiritual expression and confession in which the whole being of the singer was engaged. An experience, he said, that left the blue soul washed afresh at the blues altar. Let's breathe in this glorious image. And so as we journey into the blue, let us imagine blue medicine as soul medicine and this wide tapestry of blues, a magic carpet, woven of blue gods and twilight skies, indigo coves at the bottom of the sea, cobalt dreams and velvety music, all delicately embroidered in gold and gliding through eternity. And with that, we turn to the dream that this podcast is named after. It is twilight. I am in an ancient stone temple. It is dark except for the orange flickering of candlelight, which illuminates an exquisite tome. Thick and hard bound, it is the color of lapis lazuli. On the cover, emblazoned in gold, is the title, Blue Medicine. I gaze in wonder. As Jung tells us, enchantment is the oldest form of medicine and dreams like myth are the language of the soul. This dream then is our guiding image into the re-enchantment. And to amplify this dream, I imagine smudging the temple and the ancient manuscript. I burn copal, amber, and cinnamon, my sacred resins, spices, and aromas of choice. I lift the enchanted book from the lectern, turn it over, feel its weight, explore its texture, trace my fingers over the emblazoned gold letters. Finally, I open it, breathe in its aroma. And as I turn to the first page, Blue Medicine Journal begins writing itself. A word about a Jungian podcast. 
Blue Medicine Journal draws from the mythologically informed Jungian and archetypal depth psychology. Different from the neuroscience psychologies of the mind, depth psychology returns psychology to the etymological roots of the word, which join psyche and logos, meaning soul and the word. James Hillman put it in mythopoetic terms, calling it logos in the embrace of the psyche. Hillman was a Jungian analyst and the founder of archetypal psychology. His predecessor was Carl Gustav Jung, founder of Jungian depth psychology. Born in Switzerland in 1875, he was a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, and the founder of analytic psychology. Frequently labeled a mystic, Jung gave a scientific language to matters of the soul. He acknowledged that psychology was once a branch, branch of philosophy. Contemplating psychology making, Jung once proclaimed only an unparalleled impoverishment of symbolism could enable us to rediscover the gods as psychic factors, that is, the archetypes of the unconscious. In this sense, Jung found scientific names for what lies both below the surface and within the surface, like the unconscious, which can be seen as the great mystery, all that is unknown. The unconscious is autonomous, it has agency, it is also creative, and it seeks ways to communicate with the conscious self, which it does through myth, dreams, synchronicities, symptoms, and even slips of the tongue, which we know from Freud, or as, which we know as Freudian slips, right? Named after the founder of depth psychology, Sigmund Freud. The term archetype has become common parlance these days and is used in myriad ways. What Jung called archetypes, however, refers to the hidden forces in nature and the cosmos, which are expressed secondarily in the figures of myth, dreams, and through astrology. Archetypes are vessels of the soul, living blueprints they guide, correct and compensate our otherwise one-sidednesses, as Jung put it. Each archetypal figure is unique, though universal. Whether it is a god or goddess, nymph, satyr, animal, witch, or landscape, it is a potential both within and without that embodies a style and quality of consciousness that imparts wisdom and values. Archetypes and archetypal forces are psychological processes, but this does not mean that they live in the head or mind. Nor is a, an archetype a stereotype, as they are sometimes confused. These concepts arise from an ensouled worldview in which we are embedded. Everything has soul. As Hillman put it, God, ma God made things and things human made. The ins Plato called, excuse me, Plato called this the, the world soul or anima mundi. Everything is intelligent, communicative, and part of a larger and unfolding cosmic story. Jung reintroduced this concept centuries later 
in his psychology, this ensouled cosmovision has been shared by ancient civilizations and First Nation peoples the world over. As we know from Jung, the unconscious is personal and collective, and the psyche, which is another name for soul, is personal and more than personal. Here, in an this idea of an insold worldview can best be understood as as above, so below, as without, so within. As Jung described it, our psyche is set up in accord with the structure of the universe. And what happens in the macrocosm, likewise, happens in the infinitesimal and most subjective reaches of the psyche. In other words, the macrocosm in, within the microcosm. In this same vein, the French philosopher Henri Corbin observed that if you go inward far enough, you experience a topographical inversion. This phenomenon has been experienced through meditation and with sacred entheogens from time immemorial. I once experienced it at a Zen retreat. On the last day of a four-day retreat, I sat deep in meditation when suddenly the mat I was sitting on appeared to turn into a magic carpet. It was translucent, and the only thing distinguishing it from the fathomless indigo skies were the contours and designs of the magic carpet, which were delicately embroidered in gold. Looking down, I found myself suspended among the stars. Suddenly I became aware of a buzzing sound. It seemed to penetrate my very core and reminded me of a hummingbird, only louder. As I looked up, I saw the blue medicine Buddha sitting a few feet in front of me, hovering in the vast and starry cosmos. A golden halo traced his body. The buzzing sound came from him. I gazed in wonder. Suddenly, I caught sight of movement to my right. And as I turned, I found a thousand Buddhas seated at my side. Their milky blue profiles extended into infinity. Then, turning slowly to my left, again, I discovered the endless Buddhas. Like me, they sat suspended in eternity among the stars. I knew instinctively it had always been this way. For me, meditation had become the magic carpet that transported me to the sublime, numinous experience of the macrocosm within the microcosm that Jung, that Jung spoke of. Four days of this inward-turning meditation practice had created the topographical inversion that Corbin had alluded to. The role of imagination in the face of extinction. As we know from Einstein, imagination is more important than knowledge. Drawing from ancient Sufism, Corbin tells us that imagination is a creative force arising from the heart. The 14th century alchemist, Martin Ruland, said, imagination is the star in man. 
the celestial or super celestial body. And in the 16th century, the philosopher, scientist, theologian, and alchemist Paracelsus asked, what is imagination if not the sun in man? Imagination was also the medium used in ritual by the Neoplatonist philosopher mages of antiquity to create a transformative encounter with the divine and to free themselves from the astral compulsions of fate. Their practice in part was the inspiration for Jung's therapeutic practice called active imagination. In this way, let us consider imagination another form of magic carpet. In modernity, we have been cut off from our, our imagination. As Hillman put it, we have been taught that we think with our minds, feel with our hearts, and imagination leads us awry. As both he and, and, and Corbin saw it, imagination has been vanquished, and it is our job to free the heart from its captivity and its exile from imagination, to rediscover and recover the heart and its kind of philosophy. In Hillman's words, philosophy enunciates the world in the images of words. It must arise in the heart in order to mediate the world truly. This idea of imagination arising from the heart to mediate the world is probably best unpacked by the amazing Buddhist scholar Joanna Macy, a systems theorist, activist, and elder in her 90s. As she so succinctly tells us, we cannot give birth to something that we have not first cherished in our hearts. In other words, if we can't imagine it, it can't happen. Again, the heart is the seed of imagination. Blue Medicine Journal invokes the potential of imagination, this creative force arising from the heart as a medium for change in these extraordinary times we are living. Into the Kairos. In The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf explains to Frodo, always after a defeat and respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. Frodo bemoans his fate, wishing he, it would not have happened in his time, to which Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Indeed, in a similar vein, Jung noted in 1960, that a mood of universal destruction and renewal has set its mark on our age. This mood makes itself felt everywhere, politically, socially, and philosophically. We are living in what the Greeks called the kairos, the right moment for a metamorphosis of the gods, of the fundamental principles and symbols this peculiarity of our time, which is certainly not of our conscious choosing, is the expression of the unconscious human within us who is changing. 
Coming generations will have to take account of this momentous transformation if humanity is not to destroy itself through the might of its own technology and science. So much is at stake and so much depends on the psychological constitution of the modern human. When Jung speaks here of a metamorphosis of the gods, he speaks metaphorically not of gods in the religious sense, but rather of the fundamental principles and symbols defining an era. In other words, the Western worldview, or Cartesian, which has defined and shaped our reality on earth for centuries, and which now brings us to our knees. Having lived through the two world wars, Jung knew the power of science and technology, their enormous contributions, as well as their shadow side in the hands of the mentally unstable. And now, six day, decades after Jung's observation, the world as we know it is experiencing what can be seen as a collective rite of passage, existential in nature, a death-rebirth ritual. Although the rebirth is never guaranteed, that's what makes the ritual real. As our Earth Mother shakes off centuries of the disenchanted worldview with floods, earthquakes, wildfire, excuse me, wildflowers too, wildfires, plague, and the sixth great extinction, a dystopian nightmare unfurls on the world stage. The uninitiated and unbridled dark masters continue their extraction, frenzy, and death march. Like the Harkonnens of Dune, they squeeze hard the people and earth. Their minions in a show of smoke and mirrors sow hatred and fear of other and poison the sinews of democracy across the globe. Tyrants don't care if we hate them, says Caroline Casey of the Visionary Activist Show, just so long as people don't love each other. Joanna Macy calls our time in history both the great dying and the great turning. Towards what is in our hands? Macy speaks of active hope, which is not wishful thinking. In her words, active hope is not waiting to be rescued by some savior. Active hope is waking up to the beauty of life, on whose behalf we act. We belong to this world. The web of life is calling us forth at this time. We've come a long way and are here to play our part. With active hope, we realize that there are adventures in store, strengths to discover, and comrades to link arms with. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths in ourselves and in others, a readiness to discover the reasons for hope and the occasions for love, a readiness to discover the size and strengths of our hearts our quickness of mind, our steadiness of purpose, our own authority, our love for life, the liveliness of our curiosity, the unsuspected deep well of patience and diligence, the keenness of our senses and our capacity to lead. None of these can be discovered in an armchair or without risk. Indeed, 
This is the Kairos, after all, the opportune moment for a change of heart and imagination, a change of consciousness itself. And just as Princess Leia once warned Governor Tarkin, the more the empire tightens its grip, the more star systems will slip through their fingers. And in this jolly dance of mixing metaphors, the Fremen are larger in number than the empire, excuse me, than the emperor realizes. The Shire folk are coming out of their splendid holes in the earth and the Ents awaken. The ancestors like the sacred entheogens and the elves ally themselves once again with the humans. The tricksters, raven, coyote, and rabbit, chortle and cahoot together, bringing laughter to the people. Better a trickster than a martyr be, as, as Casey says. First Nation peoples, together with the pioneers, abolitionists, LGBTQ community, and brave dreamers everywhere, are joining hands, paws, cause and causes to lift the veil of disenchantment, to free ourselves from the grip of the corporate fantasy and break the spell spun by the world of advertisers who keep it all in place. Jung, Lucan, excuse me, Jung likened these hucksters and conmen of mass media to the dark magicians of the Renaissance. Meanwhile, resilient creatives are busy planting seeds for a greener, kinder, saner, and just new world of symbiotic mutualism. Together, we are learning to decolonize our hearts and minds, to de-inquisition our magic selves, as Casey proclaims, and reclaim our imaginations. Democracy is a verb, as historian Timothy Snyder reminds us in his great TED Talk. Of the people, by the people, and for the people. A democracy is only ever as strong as its people. Witness history. Democracy can also be seen as a birthright, an archetypal potential born of Athena, and in service to the higher values of civilization. First Nations and others expand this notion to include of the earth, by the earth, and for the earth. Vandana Shiva, the Indian scholar, environmental activist, and food sovereignty advocate, recently spoke of the idea of an earth democracy. <clears throat> I've given the name Earth Democracy for the recognition of the rights of all species and the rights of all people to share and conserve the gifts the Earth has given us. These are her words. It's a reminder that we are but one of the inhabitants on this Earth we live. Humans are not to hold dominion over, we've seen how far that's gotten us, but rather, as she urges us, we need to step out of this anthropocentric notion 
and learn to live consciously and respectfully in a mutual symbiosis with the human and more than human family. As she points out, we find our higher purpose in our first identity as citizens of this earth. In a similar spirit, decades earlier, the former Czech president, Václav Havel, gave the keynote address to the Stanford graduating class of 1994. There he expanded the notion of an earth democracy to include the cosmos. In his words, planetary democracy does not yet exist, but our global civilization is already preparing a place for it. It is the very earth we inhabit, linked with heaven above us. Only in this setting can the mutuality and the commonality of the human race be newly created with reverence and gratitude for that which transcends each of us and all of us together. The authority of a world democratic order simply cannot be built on anything else but the revitalized authority of the universe. Let's breathe that in some. Here, Havel painted a vision of an ancient and ensouled worldview in which we are embedded as conscious participants in a democracy aligned and in harmony with the cosmos and each other. It was an invitation from disenchantment to re-enchantment. Like this podcast, his vision invites you to imagine a new world into being, beginning with the images we cherish in our hearts. And as cultural historian, depth psychologist, and archetypal astrologer Richard Tarnas discerningly points out, becoming conscious participants in an ensouled world requires our own inner work, moral awareness, and responsibility, our confrontation with our shadow, and the integration of the masculine and feminine all play a critical role in the universe that we can create. In the same spirit, Blue Medicine Journal invites people and magical beings from walks, all walks and dances of life who are doing the inner and the outer work to midwife a new world into being. And in the spirit of birthing, I close this first episode with a short creation myth from the Tongva Gabrielino people the First Nation peoples on whose land I speak. May the wisdom of their elders thrive. Kwawar, the creator god, came into being through chaos. But he was saddened as he found so much emptiness. And so he began to dance. And as he danced, around and around, he sang a creation song. From his creation song, other gods came to life. The god of the sky and goddess of the earth, the grandfather sun and grandmother moon. And as these gods came to life, they all began to sing and dance together. And even more beings were birthed. And together they danced and sang the creation song. And as they did, 
Everything else in existence was created. The sea, mountains, plants, animals, and of course, the first man and woman, Aho. From time immemorial, creation myths were ritually recited to recreate and restory our lives, our communities, the world, and even the gods. This vision of dancing and singing a new world into being is the image and seed that I plant in my heart on this first episode in honor of the Tongva Gabrielino people. And that's it for now. Blue Medicine Journal will be back every new moon with a special guest. Join me with curiosity and wonder as we spiral our way into the deep and winding wild blue yonder, our hearts aflame as we imagine a new world into being. Thank you. Thank you.